0: You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young.
1: Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan, and we are here with Kevin Pratt, uh, who is the founder of Oyster HR. He's also a podcast host, which is great, and he has over 200 episodes. I'm going to say it right away because I don't have many podcast people on here that do 200 episodes. So that's for another episode. But let's jump into Oyster HR. You know, it's all about headlines, right? And there was one this week that just said the great resignation is over. And really that, you know, the economy is is actually adding jobs, right? If you go around and ask anybody, yeah, they might be adding jobs, but the biggest struggle is finding talent. I think every single entrepreneur that we speak to, that's the biggest issue. We want to grow, we want to scale, but we don't have the right people. And, and that kind of puts your, your business in jeopardy, right? So when we talk about talent that could be, you know, found right down the street, across town, um, you know, that's where companies like Oyster HR can come in. They can not only help businesses hire, run payroll, provide ben- benefits, really. And they have a talent pool that's located all over the world. Kevin uh, is, I believe is the founder. Are you the founder? No, yeah, he's no, not the founder.
2: Uh, that was going to be my, yeah. I've gratefully, uh, I'm not gratefully, but you know Tony Jamus is, okay. is a uh, our founding story is one. I'm a lawyer there. Um, uh, oh, so all I, right, here we go. So I'm, I'm a commercial and corporate lawyer at Oyster. Oh, and, this has gotten even better. Uh, so <laughs> yes. yeah, I can give you a little bit of the founding story, and it's 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 a it's a story of how the pandemic works for someone's benefit or a business's benefit. Tony and his co-founder Jack Mardak. Uh, worked uh, at a prior enterprise that was uh, acquired by, um, it was called Nexmo, and it was w- acquired by um, Verizon, I believe. Um, it was it's, it was basically an API communications company. That um, so, anyways, he had a, a very successful um, enterprise before su- successful exit, and um, he he is from an emerging market. He's Lebanese by trade, um, and so what he learned uh, in that business is that. Uh, finding talent was very, very difficult, um, and and then building teams, uh, especially in the international space, was very, very difficult. And um, and so the idea of remote distributed work became a a thing for him uh, when they were growing that business and selling that one. And so uh, the pandemic happened, uh, and all of a sudden it's like remote distributed work is the thing. Um, and so what what emerged from that is uh, Tony and Jack founded a company um, based in large, informed by their their own sort of struggles in finding uh, you know, good work, uh, living where they do. And, uh, and so Oyster, uh, was founded in 2020. Um, it has since, uh, raised, uh, series A, B and C, it, uh, the C round, you know, we're a unicorn at this point. Uh, we just found out that we are certified B Corp, which is if you're familiar with, um, public benefit corporations, that's like Patagonia, it's sort of all you, all the brands that you sort of associate with, uh, having a good, um, corporate Enterprise and feeling good about what they do. Um, so that's a little bit about our founding story. That's the the uh, incredible Cliff Notes, probably leaving out a lot of important details. But I joined Oyster in 2021, so uh, you know it, I was probably the 120th employee, if you will. And we've grown a ton since then. I think we've got about 640 employees now. Um, but it's it's more complicated than that in some re- in some respects because we we've got the employees that. Uh, we employ directly to uh, run our our run and build our software, but we also employ people uh, that provide services to our customers. Um, and so I, you know, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but I'm I'm yours. I can tell you a little bit. Of, uh, my my role as a corporate commercial lawyer was was and is a new new field for me. I mean that was something that. You know, if you looked at my resume on paper, you would have been like, "Yeah, you're really qualified to do that." Um, but uh, <laughs> make it
0: till you make it. Uh, hey, man, you're a lawyer. <laughs> uh,
2: I wanna, I wanna jump in before we dive
1: into to kind of the day to day and and uh, you know any business. If you're if you're hiring a lawyer, you, you're probably big at some point, right? Um, to the point that we really need one. But we have a very unique background. You, um, you played baseball at Elon. I actually played soccer at Georgia Southern. The exact same time you're at Elon. So we probably passed buses on our way to each of each other's university. And then you moved to Charleston, where I moved to Charleston and had my first job. I can't believe we did not run paths. And then you moved to Charlotte. So tell us a little bit about kind of your journey at the beginning. You got um, your, your Bachelor of Arts in English and professional writing, and then you go to College of Charleston, and then you get your Doctor of Law from Charleston School of Law. What made you want to become a lawyer? Did you... You know, find something up in the water in North Carolina that that just said, hey, you know what, I think I can do this. Because it seems like you might have changed paths there.
2: Oh, This is a great question because it's such a seminal memory for me. How did I want to become a lawyer? I just very distinctly remember I was sort of a marginal player at Elon, sort of a try-hard. You know, I fully maxed out my talent. Um, And, you know, my senior year um, was a co-captain. And, you know, co-captains sort of lead the stretching line. And, you know, you're getting to the end of the season and your coach is like, asking, what are y'all going to do? And uh, I said, I'm either going to like uh, stay in baseball and coach, or I'm going to go to law school. And he was like, you're kidding me. Like I was an awful <laughs> student. He's like, you're not going to law school. <laughs> I was like, all right. Well, so I moved to Charleston and coached college baseball. Nice. I coached at the College of Charleston. And right. a lot of that was because of the relationship I had with my coach at Elon. And I was at the time, really, I was really involved in the Clemson baseball camp. And at the time, Jack Leggett um, was there. And at the time, College of Charleston was coached by J- Coach John Pulowski, who was a former assistant at Clemson. So there were some connections there, and that's sort of how I got down there. Um, this would have been in 2007-08. Um, that was also an interesting economic time. Very. Um, so, you know, I sort of went down there under the false pretense that my parents could float me. Um, that was not uh, the, the reality. And so you just don't make a lot of money in, as, a, as a volunteer assistant uh, at the College of Charleston. And so I was in grad school um, and it was like, well, uh, fuck it. I'm going to law school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, I need some you money. It happen, huh? And no. you're living in Charleston,
1: you know, th- and that time I moved down to Charleston in 2008. So I graduated December of 2007, right. As I got done with my last season and a job actually took me down there to be a sales rep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the very few people that were in their early twenties that had a job. Had a four hundred one k, had benefit. Like all my friends were bellhops, bartenders, mm-hmm. lifeguard. I mean, they just did everything. You're getting a call at like Wednesday at two o'clock, like, "Hey man, you want to go to Folly?" And I'm like, "Dude, I got a job. <laughs> like, what what is going on?" So I think everybody thinks their parents are going to float them, and then it's just until you
2: get cut off, then you got to become a big boy. That's right. And Charleston, that's so interesting. It- I, looking back, I'm like, God, that place is amazing. It was, but, but then I'm, I also look back and I'm like, Yeah, people never work there. It's like <laughs> yeah. uh, there's like this beast. vibe, yeah, man, it's eh, it's crazy. I, it's I know. You, and you sit
1: there and you're like, w- w- How do you do, how do you pay for all of this? Right, right. But you know, you're in Charleston. They you always say that. either you either have money or you don't. You're yeah. either from there or you're not. Yeah, that's pretty much it, cut and dry. So, anyways, um, tell us a little bit about the journey to Charlotte. Uh, you were a, a co-founder or a founder of um, of co-law is that correct yeah yeah and then and then you jumped around a little bit um started your podcast in 2019 called the human lawyer uh and then obviously have grown kind of into this role so tell us kind of how you got uh to to oyster because you did say if you look at my resume it's kind of one of those things like are you qualified to do this so tell us a little bit about that journey
2: yeah i'll i'll try to um hit the highlights so um yeah i uh Founded Co Law. It was essentially a lawyer co working business that was sort of arose out of what, what I would call the WeWork craze. You know, it became good friends with Garrett at Hooga, and we just, we, we sort of tried to ride that wave together. And I, I thought that um, there was a market, a separate market for lawyers. Um, the thesis, very generally, is that the cost of practicing law for a solo or small firm att- attorney is, is exponentially more than it would be for, say, if I was at McGuire Woods or Moran Van Allen or Robinson Bradshaw. And so the idea is like, if if that's true, then then the access to a lawyer becomes more difficult for a smaller enterprise. You know, if a a small business wanted a lawyer, it becomes it's more costly for that solo firm lawyer to provide their services. So that was the idea. Ultimately, economically, it wasn't really that successful. Uh, What I found up I was doing was I was had my own law firm too, like spinning that up to like do things for random people or friends or people that I met at Huga or perhaps anyone. Because that was really the, the way that I was making any kind of money. Uh, during that time, I founded the podcast in part because I, it was it was like a marketing arm. It's like, hey, if you, it was is in part to sort of build a brand around Co-Law to be like, hey, you know, this is the human lawyer. Like, you can do what you do, but let's be humans about it. And even if you've got adverse interests, like um, we're we're all human, and, and that's what what brings us together. Um, the human lawyer survived. I, I kept it going largely, and thanks to you know, D.C., Melissa, and Yash, and the crew at Well Run Media. And, and you know, it's it's been, like, the most um, pivotal thing for me um, in the sense of just uh, connecting with so many different lawyers and having, having my own voice heard in a way that I feel like is is authentic to me. And really from that, um, from CoLaw, from hum, the human lawyer, I really think I attribute a lot of that to getting a, my first opportunity to go in-house at Movement Mortgage. Um, where I managed the litigation there, and that was a formative experience. I think if if lawyer, if you speak to lawyers, you know whether in them private practice or whatever, they'll be like a lot of them be like getting in in house can be tough because it's it's a lot about cultural fit. Um, it's you're going into the business, you're you're a cost center, um, so you really got to find a way to deliver value there because otherwise they're like why are we paying lawyers are typically higher earners. so businesses are going to be like, why are you paying these people? Um, so, so movement was a formative experience. And so that, um, I'll run to the, the end of the story. So, you know, there was a group of us at movement that were asked to present at this little event, um, where we were going to speak about our in-house experience. There were three of us that were invited to that. And I was the most junior one there. And, you know, if you've been to speaker events and you like thinking about what you're going to say and like, I'm, I'm one of three, I'm like, what the hell can I talk about? (laughs) Um, you know, people are going to, the ground is going to be covered on movement. Um, So I told the story of Co-Law and the failure around that, like sort of what that meant to me and um, the creativity around the podcast. And uh, the lady sitting next to me was uh, a lady by the name of Miranda Zolot. She's the general counsel at Oyster. Um, She was the second or third employee at Oyster. She has been a very strategic business partner for the company. Um, A lot of its success and growth is attributed to her. And she was like, she asked a question when I was saying some stuff about failure and then she was like, Hey, you want to get coffee? And I was like, yeah, I was trying to get her on the podcast and, uh, Love it. and, uh, <laughs> she did ultimately, but she also said, uh, you know, let me have a chance to do like corporate commercial work, which is the story that I would say like, I, you know, my, 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 my background, if you sort of looked at my resume is like, I'm a litigator. Um, that's, that's sort of the stuff that I've done the most as a lawyer and I have bounced around a lot. And I think that's something that, um, you know, I think everyone sort of has a cross to bear. They have their own sort of insecurities around that. And, and you know, for me, it's like, well, damn, why, like why can't I stay anywhere? Um, and I think for me, I think as I look back, it's it's sort of all um, nothing's been wasted. Like it's it's. I think you know, I don't think I'm unemployable, or you know, I just flame out. But I think what you what you learn is as you. I think everyone's what I, someone once told me like. It's not when the light switch when the light comes on. It's just how bright the light shines. And for me, um, it's like at this point, I feel my feel like my light's shining the brightest. And so it's like, man, I could I could stay do this stuff. Like I'm, I mean, work sucks uh, most for the most part, just in general. No one wants to work all the time, but if I have to work, I can do this. Might as
0: well enjoy it, right? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the name of Oyster. Um, where did that come from? And what does that symbolize exactly?
2: Gosh, I I think I the answer is I don't know. Um, I, but I have an idea. Um, our founders, um, Jack and Tony, uh, really believe deeply in in sort of the pearls that you would find in an oyster, and oysters and oysters are, um, you, you know, to go back to Charleston, they're sort of in the pluff mud, mm-hmm. um, and you you've got to dig to find them. Um, and you 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 sort of scrape the net and uh, you you pick up a bunch of oysters. And I think, and this is the world of This is what, what oyster means to me, and what I think it what I think it means to the company and the brand. I think the idea is one of the biggest theses theses of our company is to unlock talent in emerging markets, whether it's Zimbabwe or um, Lebanon. And, and so, to us, those are oysters. Um, those are those are things that. And people that you may not otherwise know are there. But if you drag the net, um, you're going to find something. And That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah.
0: I wouldn't have thought of that without you explaining it, but it makes total sense. Yeah. It does. All right. Tell us about so business is going great. Obviously. Um, tell us about your day to day now with litigation within this awesome organization.
2: Yeah. So I I've I've sort of politely declined to. Uh, To jump back into litigation because as as I've learned once once you raise your hand to do something that means that means you're gonna do more of it Um, and I really it's not that I don't like like doing it but I've I've enjoyed doing some of the other stuff more and so from a corporate and commercial perspective a lot of what I do um, review marketing collateral talk to prospects, like, to, because our model is a global employment software based model. And so as our customers sort of buy or subscribe to our platform, that, that's, that's ultimately what the the buying behavior or experience is like, they have to be understand and be comfortable with our, le- our legal model. And so sometimes that will require getting on calls with them with our sales folks and um, having a having a conversation with them in a way that uh, explains transparently about you know what our terms say, what the risk apportionment is, um, but at the same time, not being their lawyer because I think what what often be, the the nature of our product is such that they're like, oh well, is, what's the risk here? I'm like, well, I can tell you what what our model is. I can tell you what when we'll indemnify you. I can tell you what our limitation of liability is. I can tell you generally what's happened in the past um, and what's not happened. And hopefully you feel comfortable with that and you have, you trust us Um, because at the end of the day, like what I've also learned as on the commercial side is the, the words on the page, like the contract are just the words on the page. Like you've got to trust the people um, because the people are the ones that are doing the acting, the performing. And when you, when you agree to do something, you're agreeing that you're going to perform and I'm going to perform. And then if if you don't, or I don't, um, we're going to make it right. And, Ultimately, like uh, you know, we stand by our terms, and so it's tr- sort of navigating that, not over lawyering it, but at the same time, um, trying to give some approachability to it, uh, so people feel comfortable buying, and, and working with Oyster.
0: You guys have particular industries you service, or kind of across the board, or I would say niche like niche oriented. Or?
2: I would say in early founding days, um, and our, our go to market was what we call SMBs, like. Um, SMB like startups tech tech companies who are really trying to scale but do it um, cost effectively so um you know it it runs the gamut and I would we we have our customers have a large European presence um so that's been that's been another different thing for me I'm sort of a stereotypical charlatan so in the box and I'm I work with a team in Asia um a lot of our sales folks are in uh, what we would call EMEA, Eastern Europe, um, Africa. And so um, that so now as, as our as our product is matured, we're sort of going up market, if you will. So maybe some of our customers are more recognizable name brands uh, technology companies. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, these are companies that, you know probably have like a huge US presence. But um, with the macroeconomic macro challenges, inflationary economy, interest rates, you're starting to get a little bit more um, judicious in how they scale their talent because talent in the U.S. is very expensive. Um, and so uh, you can find just as good a people elsewhere, and that's what we help them do. You guys,
1: like yeah, it, it, we talked a little bit about COVID, talked about work from home, obviously still something that is mainstream, but you will – Start to see, if not already, a lot of companies are starting to wind that back, right? Trying to figure out how we can bring employees back into the office. Just go uptown, right? Like a year ago, there was nobody there. Now it's packed. So it kind of seems like a very unique time in the world of talent as far as are you going to have somebody that's fully remote? Are you going to have somebody that comes into the office? I feel like somebody that's a lawyer, you might have to get into the play where, hey, we hired all these people to be remote. Now we want to make them come in. Can we legally do that? Um a couple different questions. One, are you continuing to see that work from home model? Um, not only work, but are you seeing companies and the talent still want to have that? And two, are you having some companies that maybe are now looking at it saying we do need people to come into the office? Like what are you guys seeing for on the front lines?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's irrefutable in my opinion to say that the hybrid conversation is where there seems to be the most traction. Um, that, for, especially for our customers but that that being said um, we're fully remote fully distributed we will never have an office um, so we you know we are squarely in and leading that conversation that say the githubs of the world are are having um, and but here's what I would say um, this is just the world according to me you in a fully remote, Space. What the conversation about returning to work uh, in in the office is is a conversation to me that's about um, the value of in person interaction, culture building, and and elevating trust. Because there's only so much that um, people feel like you can do uh, over Zoom and in the remote space. And it it's not to say that either side is right or wrong. It's just like anything else. If you want to do something some way, you've got to really invest in it that way. And and you can't you can't replicate some of the things that happen like when we're together now in person um, through Zoom or through and you've got so for us um, our our culture is heavily embedded in Slack so if you want to build relationships like you've got to you've got to engage uh, you can't just be about the work uh, uh, you've got to find a way to uh, have a conversation and connect with someone in that way because alt- otherwise. That, that's if you don't, employers are going to feel compelled to bring you back in the office because that ultimately we call it, I I heard it with maybe one of our podcast guests on The Human Lawyer, call it creative collisions, uh, collision learning. Um, David Redding's big on collision learning. He's a Charlotte guy, um, probably well known around here, F3 guy. So collision learning, creative collisions, like that's the thing that you um, try to simulate in the, re- in the remote space. But as the employer, as the executive, if they don't see that happening, they're going to bring you back in.
1: Well, I always said, I mean, I actually came from the talent world before I got into branding seven years ago. So I did this for about six years, learned the ins and outs, the importance of having a really good recruiter and really how they can help transform a growing company. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. But it is interesting when we talk about kind of the work from home model, I, I look at loyalty, right? And I, I always kind of use the candidate side of it and we always used to call candidate client experience. So on the candidate side of it, it feels like the the candidate now feels like they have a lot of power, right? And they can move. It's a lot easier for me to quit my job if I'm not seeing you in person. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll just send an email and move on to the next one. But on the other side, it's also a lot easier to get fired, mm-hmm. right? Because of what you just said. Um, have you seen any models that are blended work? where you have some people that work from home, some people that work from the office, maybe they have once a month where they all come together. Or do you think that the most successful companies, like you mentioned earlier, this is the way we do it and we're going to, we're going to own
2: it. Yeah. I think, um, the most transparent answer is I don't know. Uh, I think, um, I think I've got opinions. I think hybrid is the future. Um, I think, um, I think if you are committing to remote, fully distributed work like we are, you have to fully commit, and, and we have. Um, and it's not to say, and by fully committing, you have to embrace the challenges of what that means. Um, say, I'll give you one that's a real-life challenge. Uh, my team is mostly in Asia. Our, our work is mostly commercial and customer-facing. Sometimes that work originates in one time zone more than the other. So the, the unintended consequence of that is that the people who are outside of the time zone where the work is originating can feel um, unintentionally boxed out of that work. And so you have to be, you have to acknowledge that. You have to democratize it. And you, you've got to then be transparent about it with tools you're using and sort of with the, with the business that you're serving. And, and everyone's got to be all in on that. Um, because you know, if someone, you know, is not, uh, it's really going to erode the trust. And that's that goes back to the hybrid or the input, like where the trust erodes. Um, we're gonna let's let's, let's look you in the eye. Uh, because that's the best way to figure out if you trust someone. Can they, they look you in the eye?
1: hundred percent. When you guys are working with customers and no you good. guys Yeah. <laughs> you talked a little bit about kind of the clients that you work with. If there's a business owner, an organization that's listening to this, they're interested in Oyster. Tell us a little bit about kind of what your ideal client looks like. And if you're a business owner, what are some of the questions that they might be having right now? And they're, you're like, hey, if you're asking yourself this or your company is asking yourself this, probably a time to give us a call.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that's cool about Oyster is that we, we are at our very core like an HR tech c- company. So Yes, on the one hand, we're employing individuals and those individuals are providing services to our customers. But on the other hand, it's about compensation benchmarking. It's about understanding what the global international talent landscape looks like. It's about understanding how to work remotely. It's understanding how to communicate in an async distributed environment, especially if you're a company that has like perhaps you have this huge presence presence in Charlotte. You have this um, opportunity to grow. Uh, Maybe you want to go to Germany. Uh, maybe there's a there's a strategic talent advantage in a, in a particular country and you're like, well, well, damn, now I'm going to have this hybrid situation. And so how am I going to integrate that? And so we we are in part um, uh, what I would call like employment consultants in that respect. Um, you know, the the revenue model is you pay a subscription fee, fee to the platform and we're sort of helping we're helping our customers uh, adopt that type of mentality so that they can enjoy the benefits of the in-person Reality, while at the same time reaping the rewards of uh, a remote or distributed workforce, um, because you know, I think from from the growth of our business is owed largely in part to non U.S. people. I mean, we, we got some U.S. people, but um, and I'm one of them, but um, I'm a minority. Technically, is the company headquartered here in Charlotte? It, no, it's uh, it's headquartered in Delaware. It's okay. it's it's <laughs> basically it's a it's a venture backed Silicon Valley company by you know. You, by trade, if you will, founded in Delaware. But um, our investors are largely um, well-known, um, well-funded um, venture capitalists um, out in California. You, I, you.
1: I, I, uh, I had this crazy dream like a couple of days ago, and it was so vivid that when I was like, I don't know, nine or 10 years old, I had a pen pal in Germany, mm-hmm. right? And we became really good friends over the years, literally just sending snail mail, mm-hmm. right? Now me and him could work on the same exact team and have live conversations via zoom anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. So you mentioned a lot of countries like, I think you mentioned Tanzania. I don't know. There's a bunch that you mentioned. What, what are, what are some of the talent that's out there and what are some of the companies I guess that are going for that? And that might be a very broad question, but what I'm trying to ask you, are you seeing a lot of organizations start to diversify what their workforce is throughout the world? Uh, I mean, we can talk about it and even in our industry, there's probably five years ago, it was like, I'm only going to hire people in America. We sell physical product. We need people to be here. And now you start to look at the landscape of our whole entire industry, which is $25 billion. There's people working all over the world, mm-hmm. right? That could be working on a project for a customer that's, you know, in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and they're in India, mm-hmm. right? But they're part of the team. It's, it's crazy how quickly it's actually not only been able to work, but technology's literally been able to give you the opportunity to find people that will do that job, that will be blessed to have that job, that will work their ass off. Mm-hmm. And let's just be frank, it's a lot cheaper yeah. than hiring somebody in America. Yeah. So depending on what that role is, I mean, I guess, are you just seeing a lot of these bigger brands start to build out their talent pool all over the world instead of focusing on a region, maybe where their headquarters is or anything like that?
2: For sure. I think for sure. And I think if, if Tony or Jack or anyone on our executive team were here having this conversation, they, they would, and I, I sort of said it this way too, but they would maybe push back on the narrative of um, it being cheaper because at the, at the end of the day, they would say it's, it's the diversity of ideas. It's um, the different perspective. And uh, what we're trying to do is, uh, is pay above market in those is and encourage our customers to pay above market in those uh, countries because it's still probably cheaper than America. And now you, you're sort of, um, it's, it's a, basically a, a, better and a more equitable distribution of opportunity. Um, because you, you're, you've got someone that's equally as qualified, um, who, uh, for the business, if we're all accountable to the business, we want to grow and be a profitable enterprise. Wouldn't it make sense to uh, minimize the cost of your inputs and, and, you know, increase the cost of your outputs. And so it's from, and, but at the same time, increase the opportunity for that individual. And, and so anyways, that's what they would say. And, uh, and the answer, Brian is, yeah, it's, it's absolutely happening. I think the, the challenge right now is for uh, companies is the hybrid conversation I think they're, there's a tension there now because I think people really want to understand and get back in person. Um, people are really seeing the value in that. And so they're having to figure out like what that means.
0: There's a Google headline just this week, return to the office crackdown. Basically they're uh, the conversation is forcing their employees to come back mm-hmm. to the office and that's Google. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they and Apple and all these other big tech companies have billion dollar headquarters mm-hmm. because to your point, uh, There's culture, there's interaction, there's innovation, there's, hey, walking by your desk, hey, I just thought of something.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It's hard to happen over Zoom, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And
1: with just, like, tech in general, uh, we had Robbie Bach on the podcast who was the founder of Xbox, and it was interesting how he discussed how the first Xbox came out. They brought in, like, 1,500 people. It had to be done in two years. Bill Gates just wanted explosions, and he wanted it on time. The first Mm -hmm. Xbox lost $8 billion. And Robbie Bach thought he was completely getting fired. Walked in, had a conversation with Bill Gates. Bill Gates is like, "No, nah, man, we're going to build another one." <laughs> and he said, "Well, if that's going to happen, I have to be—I have to build my team. Yeah, we have to develop a culture, uh-huh. right?" And so I think a lot of those big companies like that—they're getting to a point where they don't—they have a bunch of people that are really talented, but there's no direction, there's no goal, there's no relationship, mm-hmm. right? And then no matter if you have all the money in the world and great ideas and 15, if you're all running a different direction, you're going to lose money, mm-hmm. right? So they, the next one that they developed, he literally got a promotion. I said, you're the only guy in the world that could lose $8 billion and get promoted. <laughs> I just want you to know that. He's like, probably true. Yeah. But he he got to make up his timeline. He was in charge of building out the team. And now Xbox has now grossed over like $18 billion, yep. right? Um, so it's just interesting. I think with like huge companies are saying crackdown, I think it definitely can work, but you need a company like Oyster that can explain how you're going to do that, how you're going to implement it, where the talent is, and then ultimately own it and be committed to that. Not just have some model like, well, Terry wants to work from home, so we'll see if it works out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me double click on that too, to use the, the Oyster parlance. Uh, that's absolutely true because one of the things, one of our value propositions is to, to deliver a local employment experience that maybe perhaps someone from India would appreciate because here's what I would say I've learned um, to be an employee in the U.S. is fundamentally different than anywhere else around the world. I would just say as a general rule, employees are offered far greater protection uh, in their in their native country than a U.S. employee otherwise has, and because of that, U.S. companies there's just an in- intrinsic bias to what that experience would look like. Say if the Dunstan group wanted to be like, we, we need, we love this guy in India. We're going to, we're going to, we got him or her, um, we're going to sort of self-manage it there. That experience for them is probably going to be below grade because there's going to be certain customs and expectations, notice periods, uh, severance, uh, entitlements and, uh, you know, Social security contributions or and that you just you're just not gonna know. And that's not your business. Like your business is your business. Like and to to waste too much time on that is to focus on the wrong thing. Um so part of delivering what we call like a magical employment experience is part of a way that we feel like we can integrate someone so that they feel just as much a part of the Dunstan group, and that then they feel like the Dunstan group is really invested in. Uh, employing someone in India in accordance with what that means um, so yeah I think you know the 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 experience that employees have impacts how they contribute to a, an organization I love it so
1: here's a personal question for you just uh, let me know you have two kids I also have two kids yeah uh, you have a new new like three weeks yeah God bless you and your wife.
0: Congratulations! Man. Yes,
1: congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. I'm surprised you're awake. This yeah. is amazing. You're killing it. <laughs> yeah. Um. It what makes is, sense? I know. Doing well. Um. For me, I think becoming a father made me not only more committed to the business and the work and what we do, but building a foundation for them. But really, like everything I do in my life is for you know my children and my wife and. I really just enjoy spending time with them. And I'm blessed that I have a company that enables me to do that. But I do think it's made me a better person. I think it's made me a better leader. Um, How do you feel having children has affected your life both personally and professionally?
2: Yeah, I would hugely endorse that perspective. Kids, you know, kids simplify a lot. Um, I think when you don't have kids and you're an otherwise like hard-charging, driven, prideful um, person, there's just so many things to chase that you tend to chase them all. Um, and you don't really, you don't, at least most people, I think some are really good at that and they're the outliers and they're, they probably get successful earlier. Um, but most people aren't as intentional or aren't as diligent as evaluating, like, is this really important to me? Like, why am I doing this? And kids force you to do that because the opportunity cost of your time gets a lot greater. If I'm going to go chase a rabbit and like not be with my wife and kids and maybe I really do enjoy the rabbit, but maybe I don't enjoy the blowback from my wife or, or maybe I don't enjoy <laughs> the um, maybe, I agree. Yeah. And it just, it just simplifies everything. And, and, you know, honestly, I sort of, I think I'm tend to be overly existential, but I, I think as I look at my time at Oyster and, you know, my being comfortable where my feet are as they say i think part of that is owed to kids um just being you know less apt to like want to bounce around or chase the next new thing um so i'm grateful very grateful all the all the all the wonderful things about kids but also it really just simplifies things for yourself
1: i've never heard anybody say it like that and, it, and it's, it's right either. on because most people are like oh having kids is crazy and i i find myself saying that but that is right spot on right it simplifies things. i had a conversation with a friend who's like dude we never hang out anymore And I was very blunt. Like, look, I love you. If we don't talk for two months, it's okay. But my life is my kids. And if I'm going to go away from that, A, you better plan, like, way ahead. Don't call me on Friday and be like, dude, we're playing golf tomorrow. Let's do it. Uh, It's a no every time. Right? Because for me, I'm now looking do I, do I want to spend this time with my children or do I want to go out with friends or do I want to go do this? And if I'm getting pulled away from my kids, it better be fucking awesome. Yeah. That's all I got to say. So, all my friends, you're on notice. Yeah. <laughs> if you I, invite I, me to awesome shit, I'll do it. But deep down, <laughs> like, I want to be with my kids. I just, they grow up so fast. And for me, it's just, it's the best thing ever. I love it. I don't know.
2: Yeah. No, I, it, I yeah. And it's not to, yeah, to your point, like, I don't feel um, in jail. Yeah, if you will, but at the same time, like I just feel like I, um, am a little bit more focused and uh, and a little bit more mindful about where I do spend my extracurricular time. Hundred percent.
1: They also kids are great. Where if you can get out of work mode Mm -hmm. and come home, you could have the worst day ever. Mm -hmm. And if you can just know, all right, I'm I'm done with that. I'm leaving it in the car, and then you walk in, and your kids are so happy to see you. It changes your mindset. Mm-hmm. It also makes you realize that there's a lot of shit that you d- you worried about that day. That means nothing. Yeah. That means nothing. So that's amazing, man. How do people uh, get in contact with you, get in contact with Oyster if they are interested not only you know working with you or working for you, what's the best way to uh, to follow the journey and get in touch with you guys?
2: Yeah. At Oyster, if, you've, if you're interested at all about Oyster, you can email me at that email address. That would be Kevin period Pratt at oysterhr.com. Um, you can also go to our website, oysterhr.com. Dot com. We are what we call product led, which means you can find everything that you need on that website and make a buying decision. Uh, we don't need, we don't want you to feel like you have to talk to a human. Uh, I'm a lawyer on the legal team, so if you reach out to me and you've got a commercial question, I'll probably forward you to our um, wonderful sales and marketing team. Um, on the personal note, if you know you want to connect, um, Kevin Pratt thirteen at Gmail. Um, and yeah, this has been wonderful, and appreciate you all having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man. This was awesome. So uh, you heard
1: it. If you want to get in contact with them, let uh, me or Scott know or reach out to Kevin. Their website's awesome. I I was just on it. Really well done. You guys did a really good job um, on that. So definitely go check out OysterHR.com. Like we always say, please like, share, comment. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us, man. Congratulations on your journey. Um, I always love talking to ex-collegiate athletes And it's just interesting to see most of them, if they can get past the aspect of, okay, I'm done playing sports Mm -hmm. and I'm never going to play again. Mm -hmm. How am I turning that passion that got me this good Mm -hmm. into a career, right? And you've been, you've been able to do that and and not everybody can, you know, but at the same time, I think both of us had very similar careers where being a division one athlete was, we were blessed to be there. Right. And, and I worked my ass off, but at the point it was almost like, what do I do now? Like I've done this my whole life and now it's Um, over. Um, but being able to transition that into business is, is just fascinating. So congratulations, man. That's Thanks. awesome. I,
2: I will say a parting shot on that front. It is so hard because as, a, as an athlete, there's a scoreboard. Yep. You know who wins or loses. In life, there is no scoreboard. It's a long-ass game, and you don't ever know if you're winning or losing, and that's hard. That's
1: really well said. That's awesome. Love it. God, I love sports too. <laughs> They're the best. My wife thinks I'm crazy. She watches Bravo. She's like, what are you going to I'm like, I'm watching sports. She's like, Ugh. I'm like, this is reality TV. This is real reality TV. I don't know what's going to happen. And I love that. So anyways, Kevin, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, you know, like, share, comment, check it out. Um, go follow him on LinkedIn. Check out his uh, his podcast as well. Can't wait to, uh, to listen to some of those. And until next time, you have been listening to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast.